Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. And it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, I am really excited uh, because if you are tuning into YouTube, you can see me do that intro for the first time ever. The Cast Eyes podcast is officially a video podcast, as well as an audio podcast moving forward. Now, if you did not listen to the last episode, I did say at length, and I will keep it much shorter this time, that moving forward, we will be a dual stream show. You will have the exact same podcast experience through every single podcatcher, podcast app that you listen to this podcast on. The audio is going to remain the same, the same that you've always had. However, you will be able to see me and the guests that I'm speaking with on YouTube. If you go to YouTube, if you go to Cast Dice Podcast, you will be able to watch this episode and you'll be able to see all of the fantastic models that we're talking about as well. Now, I did say that I love listening to podcasts and I find it particularly annoying when people on a podcast talk about something that no one else can see. So I promise this podcast will never go down that route. However, if you would like to see my beautiful guest faces, if you would like to see the art from the games that we are talking about, we will be scrolling through things. Uh, it, it is worth checking out. I, I got a nice new camera. You can actually see all of my wrinkles, which is a little embarrassing. But that is not why we're here today. We are actually here today to talk with some lovely gentlemen who I'm a massive fan of their work and who agreed to be the true guinea pigs this week and to join me in this new adventure for Cast Dice of going onto YouTube. Now, if you've listened to this show for any length of time or you've looked at the Cast Dice podcast Facebook page, you've seen me getting a bunch of boxes for a game that the name is sometimes a little misleading, and we'll talk about what the name of that is in a second. But you've seen me painting models for 7TV for years. In fact, if you scroll back through this channel, there is an old video report when we were just starting to get this YouTube channel up of us playing 7TV Pulp. So there is all kinds of 7TV throughout the cast dice online presence because it is literally one of my favorite games and the man who br has brought that game to life the man behind seven tv is carl from crooked dice now we do have two guests and we will speak with our other guest in a second but carl welcome back to the show my friend hello sir how are you i am fantastic it is a little scary to stare at the camera <laughs> And I, I can put a bag on my head if it will help. Uh, no, I'm hoping they're looking at you. So uh, let's <laughs> let's stick with that. But if Carl is here now, Carl, we have talked before about Crooked Dice entering into a revolutionary partnership with a university. Now, I am a teacher and I absolutely think this is the greatest program 
in the gaming industry. Now, I come from the school of hard knocks. I come from old school games workshop. And that is the sweatshop, beat you, you know, into the ground until you know how to do gaming or do the gaming industry. This is a really exciting program because Edge Hill has gotten together with Cricket Dice, almost like Cast Dice, and together they have created a program for youngsters, uh, you know, university age students who are interested in both uh, publishing, creating, game designing. It's just a really exciting program. And none of that would be possible without Peter. Peter, welcome back Thank to the you. show, man. You've been here before, but it's always great to see you from one teacher to another. Indeed. Thank you very much. Now, for people who haven't tuned in before, Peter, can you talk to us about how the partnership between Crooked Dice and Edge Hill happened? Because I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I was at the UK Games Expo in 2017. Uh, I've been a customer of Carl's for quite a while. And I popped onto the stand to have a chat. And we started talking about Edgar Rice Burroughs. Um, and I've done some writing for Chaosium and Cubicle 7 and, and things like that. And I said to, to Carl, would you like me to write something for you and to kind of do a perhaps a, a, a kind of hollow earth kind of adventure, that kind of thing? And Carl said, yes, well, send me something, send me an idea. Um, and so I did. And then we got talking a little bit more. And Edge Hill has a small university press that partners up with publishers. Um, and I said, well, why don't we partner up with Crooked Dice if, if Carl's mad enough to, to, to take that idea on board? Um, and we did. Um, and I said to Carl, instead of just doing this kind of hollow earth adventure, what about doing a kind of pulp box set that would be like Inch High Spy Fi or it would have been like Apocalypse? Um, and, and Carl, and there it is. So we had a team of over two years of about sort of 18 students um, and and we, we developed some TV pulp with Carl. And after that, we went, what are we going to do next? And we did some TV fantasy. And then we've done two feature packs this year that I know we're going to be talking about later. Uh, but yeah, and probably what I should say is this is not part of the students' um, studies. It's, it's extracurricular as well. So they do it on top. And they go through an application, an interview, an appointment process. And what we're trying to do as much as we can is prepare them for professional and, and industrial work um, as, as far as you can within a university. And that's really exciting, especially given the last couple of years in particular, the world has kind of stopped for a lot of people. And when we've spoken to some of the students that have been part of these programs in the past, they have all said that this was an exciting program for them because it gave them the opportunity to get experience and to really engage meaningfully in a project in an era when a lot of things were just turning off. That's really exciting as a teacher. To, you know, For me yeah. to hear, I, I love that. And you have to be excited with that too. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of reinvigorated my career completely because it's something very different from you know, the normal teaching, lecturing, and, and seminar work and things like that. Um, but I think probably the, the, one of the best decisions we made is, is when the, the students are interviewed and they're appointed, we tell them they're no longer students for, for us at that point. They're part of a design team. They're part of a professional design team. We're all equal. And that includes Carl and I. We, I mean, Carl and I make some of the design decisions, the final decisions and things like that. Carl always makes the final decisions, obviously. Um, but 
I think that sense of being part of something that isn't directly related to education, it does give them a sense of professional work and gives them a sense of really the expectations and standards that will be expected when they graduate. And I think that's really, really valuable. Now, I was going to say during lockdown, if anything, it was a, it was a great kind of saving grace. We continued 7TV Fantasy right the way through it with kind of weekly design meetings and, and kind of pushed the programme right the way through. And if anything, it gave us a bit of a kind of a boost and, and impetus. So it was, I think the students kind of quite looked forward to having something to kind of do each week as well. So um, it was, it, it, it's been great. All of the projects have, and I'm looking forward to kind of the next one as well that we've, that we've got coming up. I'm sure we'll talk about later. Crooked Dice is a really exciting game studio because you guys have always cranked out just really impressive models, but just a constant stream of models that sort of, for when I first looked at your catalog, it seemed very eclectic. It, it seemed to go in a lot of places. And I think that also ties in with your interest as a gamer from having us spoken before. Uh, but given, especially since the partnership with Edge Hill has been going on, I think rules-wise, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you've been able to go in a lot of really interesting and exciting directions that your models have been going in in years, and now you're able to back them up with all the rules and all the the cool expansions that allow you to field those on the tabletop. Yes, there's a constant frustration over the years that you know it's quite easy to continue to produce the models, but the the development time necessary for the games obviously takes just a little bit longer. So we're always found that we're, we're playing kind of catch up with that. Um, but having a, a kind of a, a dedicated team there to be able to to work on, and not only have the intern teams from each year been kind of great to allow us to produce the box games, but we've also worked with some of them afterwards in a freelance capacity um to to be able to kind of produce extra kind of uh, supplements as well so it's been it, it's been it's been a great opportunity but yes we've got i think we've got about a dozen different product game products in development at the moment uh, and there always seems to be another couple of ones being added on to the end of it um there's a couple in there that peter and i are desperate to work on that we can't quite get around to yet um but yeah there's 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 it's really helped us kind of increase the level of uh, game support that we that we that we've been able to provide so that's great, especially given that Crooked Dice is a relatively small game company. To have the volume of games that you are able to put out is really exciting. I, I say relatively small. I mean, it, it's not one of the, the big massives that are everywhere, but your release schedule is similar to one of those companies at times. Um, yeah, Crooked Dice is, I am um, standing on the shoulders of giants at, at, at all times. Um, but it's essentially, it's me, it's uh, my wife, Anne, who does a lot of the mail order. And then it's working in partnership with Peter and the teams and some very creative sculptors and, and artists. Um, but yes, we're fairly small scale for all of our, our polish. But I think that probably comes from my background as a graphic designer. Um, you know, you kind of, you make sure that that shop window is presented uh, as, as, well as, it, as well as it can be. Uh, and it's lucky that we've got the right kind of set of skills to be able to 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 do that but yeah the the output's not not too shabby all things considered we've done two box set games uh in in uh four years i think it was so each one was kind of two year two years in um we challenged ourselves this year this year with the two feature pack products that we produced with with edge hill that was um 
it was it was, it was twice the work. Why that didn't surprise us out the gate, I don't know. But uh, that that kind of stretched us. Uh, but we've, we're getting there uh, with those, and we've got more, uh, another two-year project planned uh, to kick off in October as well. So um, looking forward Brilliant. to that. Brilliant. Well, let's talk about what 7TV is, because as we said before, 7TV is an exciting game. I love it. It It is the ultimate sandbox game. And Carl, I'm going to ask you to help me explain each one of these boxes as we go, because this is the progression of the releases over time. We've had SpyFi, we've had 7TV Apocalypse, we've had 7TV Pulp, and re most recently, 7TV Fantasy. And as each box has gone, it has gone from strength to strength. And I mean, you can just see the evolution of the game as it goes. However, what makes 7TV so wonderful for me as an adult with attention deficit disorder and a cabinet full of games behind me and miniatures that sometimes I have miniatures for games that either don't exist or haven't existed in decades. Um, and to be able to have a game system that can turn any intellectual property into a playable faction is outrageously good. And it, it's really tongue in cheek in that you're not just turning it into a playable faction for like a battle game on the tabletop, which, you know, where you're knocking characters over, uh, it, it's to the death. It's really clever in that it turns your faction into a cast of a TV show and you're playing through an episode. So you can have just as much fun playing a character like a group of teenage investigators who drive around in a, a green and blue bus with a dog as you are playing alien invaders that are um, toting the sharpest end laser weapons that will just blast everything off the table. That's a competitive game. I've played that game. It's great. And to be able to do that with on one side, there's almost no combat at all. And yet the other side is bristling with combat. And yet, it's still a fun, entertaining game on the tabletop, and both factions are in it to win it. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, everyone kind of says it's kind of an innovative idea, but it, it's the way that I've kind of always played and written things. Um, kind of forever, really. Our gaming group was really kind of great and innovative. Um, and I originally ran 7TV as a, an RPG setting for half a dozen friends. I'm going to say in the early 2000s, maybe it was probably like uh, maybe a bit earlier than that. Um, and it wasn't massively different than, you know, you could play your, your favorite TV or movie star. Um, and then we'd have uh, kind of adventures within that. But um, yeah, I think, again, as you described, you've got models sitting on your shelf. It's the way that we did. We wanted to be able to play with things. You know, the magpie nature of the uh, of a of a gamer means that you pick lots of different bits and pieces up that you just, you know, you like those sculpts or you think, oh, mm -hmm. I'll have a game with those one day. Um, so this just allows you allows you to do that. We made all of the profiles very generic. So you can have a flamboyant agent and that could be James Bond or Jason Bourne or Austin Powers, really depending on the, the tone and the style of game that your group wants, wants to play. If you want to have a real knockabout slapstick comedy kind of game, you can do that if you want it to be, you know, 
a little bit harder edged modern play, it will work for, for all of those things because it's what you're bringing to it and the narrative and the story that that you want uh, that you want to you that you enjoy. So um, Inch High Spy Fire was the box, the first kind of box set that we did, um, stemming really from our love of kind of sixties and seventies action TV series uh, and and movies. Um, but that kind of fell out of my original business partner, uh, Graham. We parted ways a few years ago, but he was kind of looking for a decent set of pulp rules and couldn't really find them. So that's where kind of 7TV started. So we took his mechanics, game mechanics and then bolted it with some of the narrative play that I did enjoy when we ran the, when the 7, uh, 7TV kind of RPG. Um, the box you're seeing there is the second version. The first one was probably a little bit more kind of RPG heavy, um, but we learned a lot from that. And when we brought the box out, it was a lot quicker to play. Um, everyone's got a profile card with all of the information that you need to do. So you can put together what we call a cast your squad um, in, in a few minutes now. Uh, and we changed some of the other mechanics. So it was, it was it's you go, I go, but we tried to make a lot of interaction between uh, the kind of the players. So you weren't hating war games. We were just sitting around doing nothing for half an hour. So we've tried to kind of mesh um, the, the kind of player experience a, a little better as well. So, yeah, that was the first one. Oh, I'm going to say seven or eight years ago now, I think, when 7TV mm -hmm. came out. Um, and we that we were quite happy with that. But then we've got, after that, we thought, well, there's some other genres that are not quite covered by that. So each box has kind of in, done a deeper dive into a particular, a particular setting. So our first was uh, 7TV Apocalypse. Um, so this was much more... Um, you know your your wasteland warriors and uh, alien invaders, um, zombie movie kind of stuff. All of those kind of eighties video nasty stuff um, that didn't quite fit in with our kind of more kind of lurid, you know, sixties and seventies stuff that we've done in in seven TV. But with each of the box sets, we've always tried to make it so that the core rules can be mapped. And as you said, you can play. Teenage Investigators versus Alien Invaders, if you want to. We tried to balance it as much as we can between each one. But with it, as a gamer, I don't want to be sold the same thing twice. So with it, you know, it, with every box, we try to add something new and different. So in this, this had full contact 28 mil um, vehicle combat in it well, as, a, as an add-on. When we moved um, to Pulp, that introduced the idea of um, perils um, and encounter so you can have your rolling boulder or your runaway truck or, or whatever you know your, your swamp of death and that kind of thing um into it and this is the first product that we developed with um with with edge hill and then mm -hmm. fantasy when we that that had a magic system and we built on perils from before and had it encounters that was that, those kind of wrote themselves because it was very easy to kind of put the wizard's tower and the um you know the, all of those kind of things uh, and gamify those so um yes they've they've been the kind of the the, the sets that we've done over the last ugh, seven years i think um mm -hmm. yeah so um and the last two as i say fantasy and uh, and pulp have both been with with ed chill and the students and with that we already had the system and we had the mechanics and we said right now go away and research what pulp is and what fantasy is uh, and help us build the list of profiles and the gadget cards and add the theme and the tone of that particular genre and seed that into the set so that you're getting a real pulpy experience or a real fantasy experience um, when you're when you're playing. 
I have had a few people ask me recently about the mechanics for 7TV. So I thought maybe for a second we could get into some of the um, just a, a zoomed out view of maybe some of the mechanics that make it what it is. As we said before, it is a game where you are creating a cast. Um, now, that means that the leader of your particular faction on the tabletop is your star. And then they have co-stars that help them or interact with them on the tabletop. And then below that, you can also have extras. So you could have um, a caped crusader uh, as your main character. And then you could have his boy wonder chum friend as your co-star and possibly that ninja butler as your other co-star and then from there you can have a bunch of you know regular police officers as your extras if you wanted to do that sort of cast of course there's lots of different ways you can do this i know for for a particular property that i'm a huge fan of uh there is one that is for co-stars uh which is a certain group of post-adolescent amphibians who hang out in sewers and eat a lot of pizza and occasionally pick up swords and nunchucks. So that was really exciting as well. So you are building a cast and that in and of itself uh, really makes the character creation this open sandbox because there are, uh, as Carl alluded to before, the cards that come with this game, and there are hundreds of cards that come with each box and each box there's almost no repetition. So there are, I have a gross number of character cards for this game, but they're all genre specific in that they're very general. Um, you know, you have the action hero, you have the psychic ability, future person, you have a magician, depending on which edition of the game you're playing, of course. Uh, and it, they just, I mean, you can pull out a miniature and then very quickly find a card that matches it. And it is a really easy process. And if, heaven forbid, something doesn't match, the rules are in the box that you can just tweak a card to make it perfect, which is wonderful. Now, Carl did mention before that he didn't want people to be sitting around watching each other while they were playing. And one of the great things about this game system is there's a lot of contested... Uh, results when you are trying to figure out what's happening. Both of you roll a dice and you add a characteristic to it or a weapon stat. Um, and so there, both players are always rolling dice. And because of the way characters activate, you get a certain number of points each turn that you can use to activate models. You never quite have enough model uh, activation points to activate everything, which makes some hard decisions. But adding to that, you can take some of those resource points. And you can then modify how many dice you are rolling. You can re-roll dice and you can activate special abilities. Again, at the risk of not activating all your characters on the tabletop. Uh, and that can be dangerous given that this is an objective-based game. You always have a bunch of objectives on the tabletop that you have to achieve. And there's always a MacGuffin, which is sort of like a super objective. And in some versions of the game, the MacGuffins give you special abilities or you know, catastrophes happen. Like uh, you pick up the idol and a giant rock comes out of the ceiling behind you and chases you out of the tomb. Um, and that has a game effect. It's it's a really uh, interesting game in that you are never sitting around twiddling your thumbs. You are always paying attention to what's happening because you might need to roll a defense dice or you might need to rearrange which character you're planning to activate next. 
but no matter what's happening, you're always clutching your little pile of plot points going, oh, do I spend this or do I hold it? Because you never know when you're going to need it next, uh, which is, uh, I think, one of my favorite mechanics in the game. It's that there's so much strategy to it because you're constantly trying to figure out how conservative or how aggressive do I want to be with my plot points to get my characters to the objectives slash get them to achieve what I want and simultaneously um, still have the defense or the offense I need to interact against my opponent. A, a lot of kudos needs to go to um, Graham Dawson, uh, who originally kind of formulated uh, some of those early mechanics when uh, when the two of us were, were working together. But we have built on that during the year. But the fundamentals of that is, you know, like, choice is fun, right? So it's it builds its own kind of narrative it builds its own tension and that's what you're that's the point of you sitting down and, and, and playing with it with a friend really to be able to tell those war stories back again afterwards and recall those moments where you were hanging off of the edge firing your submachine gun and you managed to hit the petrol tank of the truck that was creeping towards you that just narrowly avoided when flew off the cliff you want those kind of cinematic moments um in this so the system it's a basic system at its heart, uh, but it takes some of those TV tropes and terms and the essence of what kind of action TV and and and, and cinema is and, and tries to bake that in as much as it can um, uh, at every level. Um, and I've watched and had games reported back to me over the years and every single one, it's the swing of action and play. You know, I thought I, I had just about to have it and then it, it, the um, everything swung to the, my opponent's advantage and then swung back again. And that, it, it, it seems to do the job really well. The wheels haven't fallen off yet after kind of about eight years and, and three or four box sets. It, it seems to have, people enjoy it a great deal and enjoy that narrative experience that it gives, I think. Exactly. And I think the other big point of the game that's worth discussing, I mean, God, there's a lot, but I think one of the other big mechanics that really does make 7TV 7TV is you're not playing on a for a set period of time. There are countdown cards, and there are three acts to every game that you play. And you, you shuffle the um, plot card, sorry, the countdown cards, um, they're called different things in different bot sets, which is why I'm kind of struggling with the name there. There's Act 3, Act 2, Act 1. And as you go through, more extreme things happen than maybe a simple wardrobe malfunction or a set piece out of place. And each one of those maybe causes a character to do something different on the table or for a terrain piece to move. Or, you know, this, that, or the other thing will happen. You know, a script will be reread or rewritten, and all of a sudden a character will reappear on the tabletop that disappeared before, or something uh, other fantastic TV nod, wink, wink will be in the cards. But once those run out, the game is over. So each time you play, every time a player activates, you turn one of those cards over, and that deck takes down, and different effects will happen. Um, but if you are sitting on all the objectives and you're thinking, God, I really wish this game would end right now, you can actually burn two cards. And in the process, you end up giving yourself and your opponent more plot points. But in doing so, the game shortens. So you can play the short game if you really want to 
But you, again, in doing so, you're beefing up your opponent as well. So again, it's that resource management and trying to sort of figure out where the game is going to end because maybe your opponent's going to pull it forward when you don't want either. And you don't know if that rug's going to get pulled out from underneath you. And yes, that has happened to me in a game. Dave Monroe, I'm talking to you. It, it's it's a fantastic mechanic and it really does make the game original in a way that no other miniature game that I play does that. And I love it. And again, over time, that has evolved because each box has its own countdown cards. And some of the feature packs that we talk about in a minute have their own as well. But each one has its own flavor that matches the theme of the box. Again, Carl, uh, as I can clearly, as you can probably tell by the fact that I'm gushing, I'm a big fan of that mechanic. Yeah, again, it comes from kind of a kind of a practical place in there. Um, if we're of a certain age now where we're, we're, you know, we're time poor. So if I'm sitting down and having a game and I've only got a couple of hours in the evening, how do we make sure that that's fun, fast and kind of cinematic? So the, the, the countdown deck, as you say, it's for pulp, it's the cliffhanger deck. Um, for fantasy, we called it the trilogy deck. Um, in 80s, which will be coming up next year, um, we've kind of gone for a script deck, uh, which mm. is a kind of maybe a more generic term, which we might, might kind of keep um and we've done something different again with dracula so we're looking whenever we're doing something new how can we theme it and tone it to the type of uh, type of product that we are we're producing and really bake in that tone as much as possible so people are getting the pulpiest pulp experience that they can get or the most gothic horror experience that they can get if they're playing dracula for example so um there's just lots of little hooks where we can we can hang that on as we're developing the uh, developing the content for it Nice. Now, Peter, I am cognizant that you haven't said anything for a while, and I'm sorry about that. I, I definitely had to talk about some of those mechanics by popular demand. Um, but I do want to talk to you about the feature packs, because Edge Hill has been working with Carl to create these smaller VHS size box, for those of us who are old enough to remember a VHS case. It, everything you need to... Um, play this particular new kind of or more focused story of 7TV in one little box. And it you need the original game to play it, but these give you new casts, new story, new countdown cards, new tokens, and, and really does expand the universe. Can you talk to us a little bit about how a feature pack differs from the big box sets and what's been the process for you guys Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, one of the things Carl and I had talked about for ages was, was how to kind of deliver a, a, a kind of a film or a TV show or something like that that our, our players could play through. And we had a couple of students who'd worked on Pulp, Isabel and Connor. Um, and they were actually working on a project for one of their, their undergraduate modules. And their work and what they developed for what became Lurkers from the Deep was really instrumental in us working out what a feature pack required, what a feature pack should look like and, and contain. So a feature pack really at its heart is a series of either three or five thematically and, and sort of temporally linked uh, adventures, skirmishes. Um, so it really it's a campaign pack more than anything. Um, and those those adventures uh, are usually framed with a kind of meta-narrative about their 
Origins as a, a pulp series in, in Lurkers from the Deep's case, or a TV show or whatever it might be. Um, and then we introduce a cast of named characters, so rather than having more sort of generic stars and co-stars and extras, often we'll, we'll name those characters and there'll be a character background. So really what you're kind of seeing is a 7TV, almost like a 7TV Bible for a TV show or, or a film or a film trilogy. Um, you'll get your, uh, possibly we'll introduce some new um, statuses. Uh, we're doing a couple of those with, with Dracula and we did a couple of Locus from the Deep. Um, there'll certainly be new gadgets. We might add supplementary countdown cards or whatever they might be called. So for, for, for Pulp, uh, we, we introduced a, a, a variety of different ones. Again, as Carl was saying, it's about capturing the theme and tone. No surprise that Locus from the Deep is, is heavily indebted to H.P. Lovecraft. Um, and, and Lovecraft's approach to cosmic horror. Um, and, and also, Carl, when we kickstarted it, did a fantastic range of buildings that complemented it as well. Mm -hmm. and enabled you to build five really amazing uh, tabletop setups, um, and they were great. So really, it's a way of taking time-poor players who might have time to think of their own uh, kind of series of adventures or whatever and go, there we go, it's all contained in the feature pack, it's all contained in your box set. It's, it's plug and play, you know, you open it up, you've got everything you need. There's miniatures that, that Crooked Dice produce, or you can use your own miniatures if you've got pre-existing miniatures. Um, the story's there for you, all the supplementary materials there, go away and have fun. And as with 7TV, always, if you want to amend it or alter it or supplement it, then there's the space for you to do that and make it your own as well. And one of the things that we're really, really keen on trying to get on with, is a, is a sequel to Lurkers from the Deep and another kind of Lovecraftian adventure that we just haven't had time to do. We've got the idea and, and we, we know the basic structure of it. It's just finding the time um, and it's really frustrating. But watch this space. I'm so excited about Lurkers of the Deep in general. Being a big Lovecraft fan, I thought that was such a, a great way to kick off the feature pack series, um, especially since, as you said, Carl put out this wonderful range of MDF buildings so you could build the New England town. And having grown up in New England, I assure you, it feels right. Plus all of the the the, the fish folk, I think is uh, the, oh, the best way to call them. Uh, people who are kind of fishy, um, who've been hanging out near the sea too long and Eldrick Gribblies. Uh, plus you have said Gribblies and you of course have all of the wonderful pulp era investigators that you can get as well. And there's a ton of different varieties. That, of course, was the first one. But then, of course, we also had Ursula the Fearless, which is the barbarian pack uh, that's the feature pack edition to 7TV Fantasy. Carl, can you talk to us a little bit about this one? Because I think, again, this is a really cool uh, feature pack that really does add a lot to um, the fantasy box, which in and of itself covers so many bases also came out of um some of the ideas that we had around the um our uh, the kind of meta narrative our studio um for uh for fantasy um and the obvious place to start um with it particularly because she was on the front of the box um, mm -hmm. was a barbarian fantasy i mean it was probably our a lot of people's introduction to the, to that particular genre uh, mainstream um kind of uh, back in the day with a with a hulking bodybuilder and his Atlantean blade. Um, so it seemed a really obvious, a really obvious place to start for us. Um, and 
Peter and I uh, had some kind of ideas for it. We kind of wanted a, we wanted a, a, certainly wanted a female lead um, for it. And it's a fusion of several different kind of ideas, certainly from the kind of Robert E. Howard um, uh, the, the school of uh, thinking, of which I know Peter and I are both kind of huge fans. Um, so this is a short pack, which is um, Orsa's village uh, being raided um, by uh, a, a, an evil, uh, some evil uh, forces, um, and her rallying the, uh, the the people of the north to kind of stri strike back against Scardi the Witch Queen and her kind of undead and and, and giant horde. So um, it's hitting a lot of kind of uh, tropes and kind of story points, which we hope will kind of be kind of um, familiar with uh, with people. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of fun writing this, and Peter and I kind of knocked this out in a few weeks as a kind of a, the, the first product to follow up um, for, uh, for for fantasy. Um, probably about a year round ago, I think we came out October, September, maybe this time last year. Um, so a small starter set for you, and then we did a supporting range of uh, of miniatures for it as well. Um, some some dwarves. It's it's. it's I think most of us probably started off with fantasy miniatures. And I mean, you know, got those original kind of Citadel blue boxes is, is what I picked up. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it took about kind of 10 years to get round to it, but it was nice to really be able to get my teeth into some proper kind of fantasy sculpts. Um, so Mark Evans uh, did some uh, some dwarves and some uh, and, and some other ones. And the brilliant James Sheriff uh, also did some kind of extra kind of skeletons and undead. Um, for us, so yeah. there was there was a nice range of, uh, of miniatures just to, to support that one. Yeah, those skeletons are so good. I keep keep looking at them, going, uh, I'm going to buy an army of you one of these days. Uh, but yeah. let's talk a little bit about the newest feature pack, uh, which kind of snuck out when I wasn't looking. I think I was drowning in work, and I knew it was coming. I have the original. It's actually a feature pack that was from 7TV version one that's been redone with all new rules. It's an update of the missions, um, the cards, everything's new and exciting and matches 7TV pulp or SpyFi. And it is Vlad's army. And that is what if Nazi vampires and zombies and undead legions uh, invade Britain during World War II, and they are repelled by a very plucky group of British Home Guard TV personalities. Uh, so this is a really cool pack. And as someone who has so many World War II models, I'm drowning in them due to all the bolt action I play. This is great for me. I cannot wait to order this box. I'm actually waiting for a miniature to come out this Friday before I order Vlad's Army so I can buy them at the same time. This is amazing. Carl, why did you go back to the, the well, so to speak, and pull one of your original scenario book ideas from the original 7TV and make it uh, pull it into the modern era? Was there a particular call? Was this one of your favorites? What, what caused this one to be the one you, you chose? Uh, it's definitely one of my favourites. Uh, it's actually its third time out. Uh, this was written by a long-term writing partner and uh, and and dear friend Helena Nash, as a standalone game, which she would often do for us a long, long while ago. Uh, when in first edition we had our zombie TV game, um, we thought, oh, we could rework it for that. So there was a there was a book and and uh, and we did everything for for that in in first edition. Um, but the feature pack idea isn't a particularly original one. You know, as Peter said, it's a campaign or scenario pack. Um, 
So when we were developing the structure and the format of the feature packs, when we were doing that kind of bit of, of R&D, um, before Lurkers, really, I took Vlad's Army First Edition and to, and to see whether I could basically convert it and whether it would hold up and so what it would be needed to produce a kind of a feature pack. So this was sitting around for about 18 months, all written uh, and, and ready to go. And, you know, John Clee says that puns are the, the, the weakest form of humour. And I think he's, he's a genius, but he's terribly wrong. I mean, you've got a pun like that in a name. And I'm using that time and time again. So I will release this in another three years' time, quite frankly. Um, it's, 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 just, <laughs> it's, it's just the best pun in the world. You immediately know what it is. Um, mm. And it's, it's the kind of heart of 7TV is it's, we're miniatures agnostic. We've got some lovely stuff. But you'll be able to play with this probably with the stuff that you've got in your collection. And honestly, mm -hmm. I was kind of surprised, considering it was a bit of a re-release, how popular it's been. And a lot of people have kind of, it's been a, it seems to have been a bit of an entry point for people into 7TV who haven't played it before because they get it. They get what it is. It's the fusion of those two things. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason that we would kind of reduce it again, apart from all of those, was that we, I'd, uh, this time last year, I purchased a series of models from East Riding Miniatures. So Tony Barr retired and was looking to get rid of it. And strangely, as I, keep finding in my life all the time um i'd used i bought these miniatures and painted them and they were in the first edition there were pictures in the first edition version of it mm -hmm. and then at the weird time he said oh, i'm gonna sell them so we thought okay well they'd be perfect if i can if i can buy them from you did that mm -hmm. re-released them added a few more things to them so we've got both the feature pack and some uh, and some miniatures to go with it now which is always my kind of preferred way of uh, of doing things so there's a wonderful uh, there's some great Nazi zombies and uh, a, uh, a kind of a, a head Nazi and a British vampire hunter. And then we added some extra bits um, with a, a kind of some vampire beasts and some mm -hmm. uh, vampire bats and things like that to it. So it's a nice, nice little kind of starter intro pack for it to add some of the weird war stuff to mm -hmm. Sting World War II collection if you don't, if you don't have any. So. And I hear the countdown cards are wonderfully punny. Oh yes, yeah. There's each of the feature packs. Um, it, they don't always follow exactly the same structure. They almost always have new profile cards in there, but they may have new gadget cards. But I've always described the seven TV system as kind of Lego. You can build it and rebuild it depending on what you want to do with it. So Vlad's army has got uh, a completely bespoke set of uh, of countdown cards, which are themed very much around. Um, the, uh, the the kind of the home guards um, kind of uh, the, that kind of World War Two setting, uh, and it's got some very interesting mechanics um, where you collect uh, different types of gadgets and then you can can combine them together into a MacGuffin to try and defeat the vampires. Um, so um, yes, you can make a, a, a kind of a stake out of a, a cricket bat and, a, and holy water and, and various different things as well. So um, it's it gets got some nice things, which were all there in Helena's original um, original stuff. We just kind of adapted it for um, the the seventy mechanics. Really, it wasn't it wasn't much of a stretch. Adaptation I found is my is is my most favorite thing. So. Well, let's talk about the next feature pack. And when I say next, it is technically kind of in the wild, 
I jumped on this Kickstarter. It was earlier this year. This is, I know, production issues across the world. Um, I, I'm looking forward to th this arriving when it actually shows up. Rick Rhodes and the Pirates of Luna City. Hugh Ming the Merciless and all of my favorite Terminator X queen background music while we're talking. But wow, this hit me in all the right spots and I backed it big. So I'm so excited about this. Again, this seems like a very niche property to dig into, particularly since you're you're leaning into the serials of early television and uh, movies, science fiction from way back when. Uh, but it is really awesome stuff. And the miniature range that you put out with this is expansive and really impressive. What led to Rick Rhodes? And talk to us a little bit about how the Pirates of Luna City both came into being and the process. And maybe I'll let you guys ping pong back and forth and talk a little bit about the process of how it came into being. Uh, yeah, um, Rick Rhodes was one of the early concepts when we were writing Pulp. So when we developed the pulp box set, we had a whole series of pulp serials that never really existed. Um, and Rick Rhodes was one of those characters we created. Um, and we we wrote some Rick Rhodes material for the pulp box set. Um, and then we got a very good collaborator called Glenn Allen. Um, <clears throat> and Glenn took the idea of, of Rick Rhodes and the Pirates of Lunar City and worked with Carl on doing a, a much more kind of expansive um, and thoroughly detailed version of the, the Rick Rhodes universe and things like that. So it started with a kind of idea for Pulp, and then we developed it from that. Um, and I think it, it's it's linked to the Pulp box that is a bit more explicit than than uh, Lurkers from the Deep was, for example. Although Lurkers was another um, uh, serial that we we kind of designed or, or conceived for, for the Pulp one. But Carl and... Um, Carl and Glenn worked on it pretty much exclusively, and I, I did a, a, a few bits of, uh, with the background and things. Uh, but really, the development work was was Glenn's and Carl's. Carl, what were your what was your experience with this? Because clearly, you're a man who loves these serials. Yeah, I've um, so okay in the UK in um, when Star Wars was about to come out, the BBC. Uh, re-ran a load of the, the original Flash Gordon serials because they kind of knew that Lucas had wanted to get Flash Gordon and couldn't, so made his own. Um, so I kind of grew up on these, even though they'd been produced, you know, back in the in the, the 30s and 40s, and I had a real love for for that, that that thing. That's what I always liked to that's what kind of drew me to pulp, I think, in the in the first instance. And I I don't know, the, the stuff that I want to work on is stuff that I kind of really love. And hopefully that kind of comes through in the in, in the material that, that we do. So this seemed a really obvious one to do for, for Pulp. Weirdly, it just sounded like the coolest name. I'm pretty sure we came up with the name in our faux listings of all the different episodes that, that we did. And that's where it started from. That's a cool name. What does that mean? It took us a little while to kind of get to that, that point. Um, but it was really okay. It's it's a planet hopping one in different environments. How can we make those different environments cool? Which you know is a is a classic Lucas trope. Fire um, mm -hmm. planet, forest planet. You know it's um, so we followed the leader. Um, um, 
but with that, you know, with with, with some cool rocket ships and um, and a space monkey, which I know Peter loves. Um, so, um, <laughs> not a happy face. I don't think he likes it. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I had kind of had uh, as ever a kind of a framework for what I wanted to do, and then uh, Glenn Allen, who is is one of the fastest writers and developers I've, I've, I've worked with went, yeah, I've done that. Um, and kind of presented it, 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 it to us. So um, we did kind of developed that together over a couple of months, I think it was uh, to put, to put that together. And then as ever waited for the miniature range to kind of catch up for it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I experimented with doing some kind of STL stuff for this so that you could get a rocket ship and you could get some of those things for the ice planet and the, and the volcano planets uh, as well. And we're really, really nearly there for this. But this is the beast that won't die. I can't quite get it fulfilled. There's a, we had a couple of production issues uh, on a couple of the miniatures, which unfortunately, one of the ones was one of the freebie miniatures that goes out to everybody. So I can't send anything out until that comes in. I promised them this week. So hopefully we can do a major kind of push next week and, and, and get it out. So... Um, it's it's pretty much on schedule. I said I'd get it out in July, but I think it will just creep into into a couple of weeks, which is not the place I like to be as a one of a, as a production person. Um, but it's uh, this one; it, it won't quite seem to get out. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, though, as you say, you don't like being behind. And one of the great things I've noticed about Seven TV's kickstarting projects: you are not a company that's just randomly throwing kickstarters out. Uh, even though you have larger supply chains and whatnot, you are literally a smaller game company. So this is how you fund some of the wonderful expansions for your game and the collaborations that you do. But your collaborations, as far as the things that go together, because you're working with other people, you're able to deliver on time. So I, I don't want to give the impression that this is something that's way out. As Carl said, he's going to be a couple of days or maybe a week out of the delivery time that he had initially planned on. If you think about that in the modern era of Kickstarter, that is outrageous. I've always been impressed with Crooked Dice's ability to deliver on its promises. Again, a big hat off to you, Carl, because that is something that is relatively rare, especially in a smaller game company, especially when you do have so many stretch goals that go into these Kickstarters that you do. So again, well done. Bless you. That, that, that week still really great. My background is, is in kind of graphic design and in publishing, which was always kind of a, a, bit, a little bit last minute. Um, but that ability to deliver is um, something that I hold quite dear. Um, I kind of I use Kickstarter for what I think it's intended for, really, which is to kind of raise the capital to deliver new projects that you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to do for kind of, you know, as, as a small company. So, um, however, I won't launch a Kickstarter until I know that everything's mastered and everything is ready to go into production mode so that what we're raising the money for is the production costs, which are the, you know, the, the bulk of the, uh, of the, uh, of the, of the expense. Um, so we've got another one coming up and that, that's exactly the same. Everything's ready to go once we've got it. But um, we had a, a couple of issues uh, along the line with, it's COVID. It's not, you know, even though we kind of got over it, people are still suffering for it. And they just, they, they can't work in a couple of weeks here and a couple of weeks there at different points in different parts of the chain. Uh, and it, it slows things down a, a little bit. So um, apologies to everyone, but it'll be, it'll be very, very soon. 
I'm not complaining. I'm just excited. I was looking at the pictures and preparing for this episode going, oh, yeah, Ming the Merciless is coming my way. Can't wait. Now, something that I've seen on your website for a while is a new range of models called Colony 87. And the range keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. Can you talk to us a little bit about the future for this range? Do you have any plans? Because it is really exciting. Thank you. Yeah, this um, Colony 87 was originally run as, uh, there were two Kickstarters, in fact, that uh, a gentleman called John Boyce, who's a real um, old hammer uh, fan and a stalwart of that kind of um, community. Uh, and he developed two wonderful um, ranges of about six miniatures each, I think, in the first two waves. Um, he's got his own full-time job and a, and a kind of a busy life. And he had a third wave ready for it. Um, but I, I just love the range that Michael Anderson did all of those original sculpts. And they've just got so much character um, in them that I kind of mentioned to him ages ago, if he was ever thinking of selling them, do let me know because I'd love to kind of add them to the catalogue. Um, and that's what happened um, two or three years ago now, I think. Um, so we added the third range that he'd already prepared. Uh, and then we ran a subsequent fourth wave uh, of miniatures, which expanded that. I think it almost doubled the range of miniatures that, that were available. So it's old school, retro, largely traditionally sculpted um, models. Um, which broadly is set in a kind of a, a, an off-world uh, colony uh, at the uh, at the edge of space with some weird kind of characters, which um, we've we're just starting to explore. Um, so that will be our, our next big project, actually, with um, with uh, with the university because there hasn't been a game associated with this. It's just been the miniature range. Um, uh, we've got uh, approval for funding to work from October 22 uh, on a new Colony 87 game, which will be building on what we've already got, but will be a little bit, a little different. I'm excited to see where this goes uh, because those models, as you say, they have that real old hammer feel and yet they have that, that cyberpunk science fiction. Uh, it, it just feels really nice. Um God, I can't stop gushing. I'm I'm just going to move on then to one of my personal favorite books, I guess, of all time. I mentioned it in the last episode. When I was a kid, one of my favorite books to read when I was, you know, an early teen slash late teen was Bram Stoker's Dracula. My wife and I re-listened to this recently during COVID lockdowns. It has just been a book that I've always been just in love with. Uh, I, I have seen many movies of it. I've read many many different versions of the book. I've worn them out so the spine has fallen out. And I keep meaning to get the uh, annotated Dracula, which is something I'm very excited about as well. However, seven TV Dracula. Oh my God. I saw this announcement on Facebook and it literally made my day, especially since it comes out Halloween, which is Cast Ice birthday. So I am overjoyed about this coming out. Ah, they, clearly there is going to be the link to the original book and the characters. Uh, as this is a feature pack, I'm assuming uh, I haven't seen anything other than the, the art and some of the miniatures. 
but wow, this looks great. But this also sort of leans into a direction you'll be going later with another feature pack, which am I allowed to ask about? Can you talk to us a little bit about this, Carl? Absolutely. So this year with Edge Hill, we have worked on two feature packs. Uh, we originally had um, one for the 80s boxed set. So it'll be a feature pack for that, 80s being uh, coming out next year. Uh, and that is what if Stephen King um, and John Carpenter and John Hughes got together on a project? So it's a small town um, cosmic nightmare um, that we've uh, that, that we've been um, developing, uh, and that was in train, and the team have worked on that um, brilliantly, and uh, it is grand. But quite late in the day, we were approached by um, people from the from the Stokerverse. So the Stokerverse is um, uh, Dacre Stoker, who is uh, Bram's great grand nephew, uh, and Dr. Chris McCauley, uh, and they have been developing the kind of the dracula property in different uh in different uh media so there's there's comics there's audio books there's a couple of different games and they approached us um uh, and said would we like to do a kind of a seven tv skirmish version uh of dracula um and i kind of i said oh that sounds very interesting but i don't know where we'll quite be able to fit that in um but then i thought well i do know a man at a university um, who may be quite interested in doing that. So they kind of approached approached Peter um, and said, what about this? And I said, foolishly, oh, yeah, I'll be able to fit that in with my timetable. It won't be a problem at all. So we, we, ended up, words. <laughs> we ended up developing the two feature packs in parallel. Um, but I think when we, when we set out, one of the things we really wanted to do was go back to the novel and really kind of determine how faithful we could be to the novel even though we're working in a vastly different form which is you know the tabletop skirmish game Dr dracula's not a tabletop skirmish game it's a gothic novel um mm. what do we have to, what do we have to do to it and do with it to try and retain sort of stoker's vision and stoker's sensibilities while still making it into uh, a game where two casts are, are fighting in, in various gothic environments so that was that was quite challenging and it was interesting this time because the design team for Dracula were really, really interested in Dracula. They they read the book, they'd studied it. Um, that was the drive for, for them to, to join the, the team, really. Um, it were in previous teams, certainly with Pulp, virtually nobody knew anything about, you know, 1930s cinema serials. And why 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 would they? You know, it was 70 odd years before they were born. Um, but but uh, our group for, for Dracula were really, really into it. And they were gothicists and all the rest of it. It was great. Uh, and we were joined by Dr. Maddie Potter uh, uh, on the team, who was a, a gothic or is a gothic specialist with a particular interest in Dracula. So she kept us on the straight and narrow in terms of making sure it was suitably gothic. Uh, and then we sat down with the book and went, OK, so what are we going to do? How are we going to manage this? So we wanted to preserve all of the characters. Um, we also wanted to kind of hit the main beats in the novel so we've, it's a five chapter um feature pack so it begins with jonathan's escape from the castle and we kind of supplement that with a, a flight through a small transylvanian village then we we move on and it's the the running aground of the demeter in whitby and what comes off the demeter um and then we move on to to lucy uh, poor lucy westerner 
who's, who's Dracula's first sort of British victim, I guess, or English victim. Um, and then, then it gets you know more more familiar, I suppose, with the the purging of Carfax and the final fight, which is at Castle Dracula. And all the way along the line, we were going, well, Stoker does it this way, or he doesn't do that. How can we how can we do this in a way that really maintains that that sensibility? And that was really important to all of us that we didn't sort of go off on a on a wild tangent. I mean, there are some slightly you know, creative approaches to some of those uh, sequences because they're essentially not skirmishes in the novel. You know, there's not a lot of fighting going on in the novel. Um, so we try to stay faithful to the Gothic, stay faithful to the spirit of Stoker while moving it on to, to, to the tabletop, really, where, where two casts can fight it out. Yeah, it's, that, that was the challenge because, I, you know, I would come blundering in and say, that's great, but that's Jonathan in a castle on his own with Dracula that's 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 not gonna you know that's not gonna work on it so we looked for gaps in the novel as well as key moments that we absolutely needed to to represent um but yeah the challenge was then just kind of just stretching a little where we could to to kind of um get it to work get it to work on the tabletop as a game that can still be fun and 70 we've probably played this a lot straighter um, than we have in in previous um, kind of uh, outings of, of Seven TV, because because that's the Gothic, really. You know, it's 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 not um, it's not carry on screaming. Let's put it that way. It's it's a proper adaptation of the uh, of of the novel as much as we could, um, because it's you know when you look back at the many adaptations over the years, it's amazing how many of them drift away from from the novel. Um, you know, a lot of characters are combined or split apart or get dropped. Uh, locations and things are, are, are the, uh, happen as well. And there's generally there's there's not a lot of action in there. You know, there's a couple of high points and there's a lot of exchange of letters. Um, but the uh, it's how do we again mine all of that and bring that into the tone and into the mechanics of everything which i've been delighted with how we've managed to do so the um our traditional countdown deck that we were talking about earlier that has now been split into what we're calling a diurnal deck which is the phases of the day and they change so there are four phases and they will wax and wane depending on the scenarios and obviously the vampires working at night much more kind of so we have um we have uh um uh, day, uh, sorry, dawn, day, dusk, and night as the four kind of phases, and they operate in exactly the same way that the the previous countdown cards too is to kind of uh, of to run the length of the game, but we've managed to seed lots of kind of tonal stuff into that as well. So just one of the core mechanics of the game immediately becomes a lot more gothic, and we've taken all of the, uh, the terms and quotes from the novel and tried to kind of bake that into into all of those. So it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. And because the heroes only kind of really hunt vampires at night, they're immediately disadvantaged. So we've tried to balance that with a, a kind of uh, epistolary and clue system that that builds on um, the the magic books of magic in fantasy. So the, as the, the the players acquire or as the characters acquire knowledge, they can deploy that knowledge against um, against Dracula and his forces. That's awesome. I I didn't think I could be excited about something that you guys were doing more than seven tv 80s 
And this is getting close. I'm just telling you now. I'm I will be buying this the day it comes out and I will be playing it instantly. Cannot wait. <laughs> um, yeah. Oof. You're hitting all the notes, especially when you guys are talking about staying so close to the novel, because there have been a million Hollywood adaptations. Um, I've just, as you were talking, I was thinking, hmm, what do you mean? This doesn't take place in New Orleans and there isn't fighting every 10 minutes? Yeah, no, that's a, that's Dracula 2000. I'm very excited about this coming out. But if we're talking about 7TV 80s, you know I'm going to get there in a second. But first, let's talk about corporate wars. Uh, because you've recently got some new models to add to the catalog. Yes, or rather re-releasing some older ones. So um, we talked about Vlad's Army earlier and I bought the East Ridings miniatures range when um, when Tony retired. Um, it had a small set of kind of World Weird War II miniatures in there. Um, but the bulk of the range was their original Corporate Wars, which is, oh, goodness me, 20 or so figures, um, which were originally sculpted by Jim Bowen, who ran his own company, Graven Image, many years ago. He did kind of 40 mil things, really stylized, but wonderful, wonderful sculpts. Um, and he and Tony developed the Corporate Wars Ranger at, at 28 mil um, in the early 90s. I think they were kind of staples of, of most kind of near future and cyberpunk gaming for, for a long while. They were the classic um, slicks, which are the kind of trench coated um, guys. But there were a load of uh, enforcers and uh, cyborg ninjas and, and, and various other cool things in there. Um, and then the other part of the range was the absolutely mad Golgo Island, um, mm -hmm. which was a small uh, indie um, uh, game, which had some just wonderful, wonderful mad sculpts, um, but by some real luminaries. So there's Kev Wyatt and uh, Bob Ollie. Uh, Kev Adams did some stuff in there. Uh, Steve Saunders. Uh, there's a Tom Mayer uh, sculpt um, in there as well, uh, and it's uh, and lots of Shane Hoyle stuff. I think some of the, some of the best work that Shane's ever done is, is in those half a dozen kind of figures that he did for that. So um, I've combined those together. Uh, it's been a year since I bought them, and I really, really wanted to kind of get them out. So they're a little, they're a bit of a lead into kind of eighties coming out next year, um, but. There are yeah fifty odd figures um, that we've got that would be great to get back into production because they're just really characterful, wonderful sculpts, and it kind of comes back from me just loving that particular range and one of it, you know that nostalgia, nostalgia, which is you know absolutely part of all kind of crooked dice things really, and, and making these available again. Um, so we've had them um, repainted by. Um, by John at Mystic Spirals and Callum France, who was um, one of the Edge Hill alumni who now works for War Games Illustrated that I should give a, a shout out to. Um, and they've uh, painted um, painted all of those up for us. And I'm hoping to bring that to Kickstarter maybe as soon as next month. What I, I want to fulfill Luna City first to make sure that that's all gone. I don't like, you know, I don't want to don't offer something up before that's done. That's not cricket. So um, once that's out of the way, um, this will this will come up. So I'll be previewing those over the next few weeks, and then then boring everybody senseless during the campaign as I, as, as, <laughs> as we run that for a, for a couple of weeks. Um, so that will hopefully deliver um, in October before we launch um, Dracula in uh, Halloween. Can't wait! Can't wait! But I'm going to mention the elephant in the room. 
This is my wheelhouse. I'm a child of the 80s. I have recently gotten your uh, your uh, Ghostbuster pack, um, the A-Team pack. I've got the Resistance from V. I I have so many of these models. It it actually kills me that I haven't painted more of them. I have, however, painted all of my visitors. Very excited about those. Um, I've been waiting for the 80s box with bated breath. And I know I'm not alone because I've had people ask me, knowing that I would be talking to you today, I've had a number of people say, you know, please talk to Carl about 80s now. <laughs> so it it is definitely a cultural thing at the moment. I mean, 80s is hot and it will continue to be hot, I'm sure, uh, because at least for some of us tryhards, it never dies. But I am very excited uh, for the 80s box because this game seems to be designed. I mean, clearly it was designed for the 60s, 70s TV shows. But with a quick blink of an eye and a snap of a finger, this turns into the perfect game for 80s, uh, for movies, for TV shows, for cartoons. It's outrageous how perfect it is. And I just want all of the character cards right now, Carl. Uh, can you talk to us about where we are in the process? Well, I mean, almost as soon as we published 7TV back in the day, everyone says, well, where's 8TV? Where, where are you going to do, you know, you can do, do the next one um, in that. We've always said, you know, the range of eras that the rules cover go right the way back to, you know, the 30s and, and can go beyond the 60s and 70s that we plan for. It's not much of a much of a stretch. Um, so we'd always planned this for a while. I've worked again with longtime um, Crooked collaborator Helena Nash on this, um, and she's done the majority of the background um, work developing, developing the archetypes and, uh, and uh, some of the, the, the background material for that. We originally aimed to try and get that out kind of now around this summer um but with everything else that was going on uh it just it wasn't really practical it was better to just hold on for for a few months and, and do it so uh i hope to bring that to kickstarter and early next year probably in a february slot but we'll we'll see how everything everything goes um 95 of it is written we've done all of the profiles I'm going to say there's about 130 or so profiles in there. Um, there's more uh, hero and villain archetypes. Sorry, star and co-star archetypes um, than we've uh, than we've had uh, before. Um, I think there's about 20 of those, I think, and then uh, lots of new and new extras. Much like the apocalypse box set. Um, we decided that the eighties is a lot is a lot grayer um, than than just straight kind of heroes and villains in the sixties in there. So we've uh, it also allows you to pretty much play any type of cast you want anymore. We've kind of just lifted that hero villain um, restriction. Uh, we've got brand new genres for that. He says trying to remember what they all are: um, Silicon Dream, Frightmare, Hired Help, Cold War. Rebel State and another one, which I will come back to in a minute in there. So they are covering a broad range of things and we're making genre work a little bit harder for us than we have in the past. You'll you'll pick a genre that your cast will be 
uh, and you'll have a, a nice little genre card, large card in there. Um, and we've worked that into um, the, the the countdown mechanics um, so that uh, each of those cards, which are now, as I say, mentioned, called script cards, they'll have a genre symbol on. And when that corresponds with the genre that you've picked, you can decide to play one of your genre abilities instead of the one on the card, which is themed to you, if, if you can play the plot point cost for it. So again, there's still that resource management element in that you uh, that you described um, earlier. So that's that's a new feature. Um, vehicles, we undenied a lot about vehicles. There's a you throw a stone and hit about ten signature vehicles um, during the eighties, but then it's not really vehicle combat. It's more product placement, if anything else. Mm -hmm. um, so we've stuck with the kind of the deployment kind of approach that's in traditional the original inch high box set um and then we've introduced all of the rules that we've developed and honed over the last three sets as well into this so we'll um there'll be presence attacks um in in this uh, as well kind of bringing it up to date so the 80s set will kind of really replace the inch high spy fi red box as, as the kind of the core rules but what i don't want to do is lose any of that super groovy uh, right. 60s 70s stuff so as part of that kickstarter um i've got another one about edge hill alumni connor dwyer uh, we're updating all of the inch high spy fi cards from the original set seven years ago to bring in presence attacks and all of the new things that we need for that and we'll have new art and we'll have new miniatures images and everything on on those as well so the inch high spy fi cards will be part of probably a stretch goal i would imagine um as part of, of that so you know we do all of our lovely fans love all of that stuff and we don't want to leave them them behind um exactly. so um that will that will come uh, with it as well and we've already got we'll have night heroes that we talked about earlier as one of our feature packs and we've also um looked at our paranormal exterminator set of cards because they've been out of stock for a while now and we've developed that into a feature pack as well with new profiles uh, and some new um, scenarios um, for that in the background and there's another couple um, of, um, of feature packs that are in development as well for that um, so we'll have a good support of kind of product line for for 80s once that when that comes out next year as well so yeah, um, very exciting. Just got to kind of finish off uh, uh, a few parts of the kind of writing on that and then get into playtesting. So um, we've got, rather than the encounters guide, we've got the tropes guide this time. So we're looking at all of those good 80s settings and locations um, and uh, exploring those. I was very delighted to be able to write a note um uh an encounter around a nightclub this time because it's kind of a staple you know lots of dry ice and setting in in uh, in, in lots of clubs i managed to get a uh, an encounter table that used the beam template to replicate the dance move oops upside your head that's my particular favorite so far um so uh you know as usual it takes itself very seriously um, awesome. peter are you as excited about this as we are yeah, I mean, we've been working for the last year on the feature pack, uh, which started out as a small town cosmic nightmare, which kind of really describes what it is. Uh, and then it's got the much catchier title now of Night Terrors. 
Um, and as as Carl was saying, it's John Hughes, John Carpenter, and, and Stephen King. And we really tried to build a sort of five episode feature pack around some of those great sort of 80s tropes of the little lost alien, the malevolent kind of uh, government agency, uh, the, the plucky teenagers uh, who might be, you know, playing something like the world's most famous role playing game at school. Um, mm -hmm. as, um, and we've tried to pick out some really nice scenes. So there's a scene in, in sort of a woods by a junkyard uh, that I hope recalls a little bit of, of sort of Stand By Me. Uh, we've got a sequence um, in a, a drive-in where they're watching 50s monster movies um, and the monsters may come to life, who knows. Um, and then we've got a sequence in a school that's kind of merging with a kind of fantasy environment. Uh, and then we've got uh, the battle in the town and the final sort of uh, assault on the, the secret military base. Um, so it's got something for everyone, but I think we it, people have a lot of fun picking uh, those those kind of influences that have, have shaped Feature Pack. It's been great. I'm really excited about the box set and that coming out. I'm hoping the Feature Pack will come out quite close with the box set. Um, so it means that people will be able to instantly get into playing the 80s with a very, very kind of uh, archetypal adventure. So you're saying I need a, I'm just taking notes. Uh, you're saying I need an MDF drive-through, lots of cars, uh, and a military base, and I think I've got everything else, and I'm ready to go. So I'm excited. Yeah, yeah military base give you an opportunity to deploy your your bolt action stuff in a different context. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely right, and I just got some walls that are perfect for it. Just need to get the razor wire for the top. <laughs> but when I start talking about the different plans that I have for tabletop gaming, it's probably time. For us to call it a day. Gentlemen, I am so excited about what is coming down the pipe for 7TV and for Crooked Dice in general. I am loving the, the fruit of the collaboration that you guys have been working on for years now. And the future is bright. It's so bright that I have to wear shades. Uh, thank you. That's my 80s quote of the evening. Every time you guys leak an image or show pictures of miniatures that are coming up, my wallet hurts. And I look forward to it hurting for a while to come. Again, I know you are both incredibly busy. I, I cannot thank you enough for making the time to come on today. Peter, as one educator to another, it is always a pleasure to have you on, brother. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Brad. And Carl, love your work. Please don't stop. I can't. Don't worry about that. That's true. <laughs> thank you so much, Brad. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this show is taking a kind of a big jump at the moment. We are moving into the quote-unquote future as far as moving on to video. So thank you very much for joining us and listening to the show today. I know uh, hopefully the audio is, is perfect. Uh, we are still working on that. Um, but the goal is to have audio that is as good as it has always been, if not better, and now you will have the video to accompany that. I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it once. If you are watching this on YouTube, please consider liking and subscribing. I hate it when people do that, and yet I just did it too. It is important that people are able to find the show now, that we are in a new arena, uh, and that we can find a new audience uh, that will just uh, allow more people to find the show and listen. If you are listening at home, again, thank you for taking the time to listen to Cast Ice. And uh, thank you for your patience as we go through these teething 
processes. If you have any requests for the show, we do have some really exciting uh, episodes coming up with some guests from a variety of game systems and more bolt action content. I see you in the corner with your hand up saying you want more. I know because you've been messaging me. Uh, we will have lots more bolt action and other game coverage coming in the coming weeks. But if you have a request or if you really didn't like or loved what we did today, please message the Cast Dice Facebook page. Um, that's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you message the page, you're guaranteed a response by me. My name is Brad. Uh, I do occasionally sleep, so give it a couple of hours. Thank you very much for listening. And you know what our buddy Casey always says at a time like this? When you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. And the terrorist fan